Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you something, people. This morning, well, I, I woke up in the middle of the night last night. I, I have to take my written driver's test, and I, I'm going to admit it, I failed it last time I took it. I've been driving for years. I'm 52. I've been driving since I was 17. I did fail my driver's test back in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, my first time, but I failed the written test, and I felt like such an idiot, and like being awful, I never went back. I've been driving with an expired license for like a year. So I'm going back and I, I couldn't sleep last night because I was thinking about the damn test. And then what happens? I finally fall asleep. And this morning, Joanne comes running upstairs. She's about to go to the gym. I used her car last night. The battery died. So it was just, it was a crazy day to start. But but my day is going to get better because uh, I have, I, I you know, I can say my guest today, she's, uh, right now, I'm going to tell you this. She's um she's America's sweetheart. She's on AGT. Everybody loves my guest, Julia Scotty. How you doing, Julia? Hey, Steve. How are you? Everybody? Every, how do you know this? I believe me. I'm I'm the, I'm on social media. I when I you met someone from my college. I think you were playing in Harrisburg or somewhere. A girl named Maureen Canning, and she sent yes. Her, and she, yeah, I went to college with her, and I I saw her. I mean, I don't do stand up much anymore, but. I was back in New Jersey a few years ago, and a bunch of them came to the show, and she said, do you know Julia Scotty? And I said, yes, and I knew you before. I had worked with you, and now, you know, I know you through Facebook, but she, everyone's sitting there going, I mean, seriously, when I posted you were coming on the show, because I post who's going to be on the show today, and people were going, oh, my God, oh, my God, she's killing it on AGT. So, the, you're, I'm telling you, and the... I'm telling you, you're going to go far. Now, you're coming out August 2nd, right? Um, I'm coming out on August, uh, I think it's August the 11th or 12th. That's when I come out. Unless you count the first appearance on HGT when it really came out. But, um, yeah, we're coming out in, in August. Now, where are you guys performing? Um, for the show? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be at the... Um, Oh, it's not the Omni Theater. But where do they do the Oscars? It's the... Uh, the Shrine? Well, no, no. It's the Dolby a, Theater. The okay. Dolby Theater. That's a beautiful That's place. Well, they must be excited about that. It's, you know, we were just talking, my, my manager and I were just talking this morning, but it's it's been unreal. It, it's, uh, 30 years I've been knocking around, and all of a sudden, one night, just one night, your whole life changes. Now, when did you decide you wanted to do comedy? As a kid, did you always watch comedy because everyone has, has different influences or was it later in life i mean what made you decide that you wanted to get in this business and was did tv catch you as a kid did you watch the ed sullivan show did you watch the tonight show what brought you on this path to do stand-up um i have always i, I think you know i got the calling very early in life and, and and i'll tell you it was it was lou costello believe it or not um two reasons he was from new jersey and so was bud abbott but uh there was something about that sad little character you know uh, you know, he was fat, he was always getting picked on, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of identified with that as a kid. And so I just learned to start doing routines. I could do his, you know, an impression of him. And and you get that laugh, and you know this. The minute somebody starts laughing at stuff you're doing, <laughs> you know, it's like heroin. Yeah, I'll do more, you know. It is funny you say that, because it's like, I mean, even you're going back to a kid, you know. I mean, I think anyone, and I, I'm not saying everyone, but 80% of people who who have done stand-up comedy for a while, I bet at one time when they were a kid, and I may be wrong, but they did a John Wayne impression. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> John Wayne, you did, and you did Three Stooges impressions, too. I mean, you know, uh, because here in New York, they always, every afternoon, they'd run the Three Stooges uh, films on, you know, Officer Joe Bolton on channel WPIX. Yeah, yeah, we, you're influenced early by that stuff. Let me hear your John Wayne. Oh, 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 you little doggy. That's, it's awful. But it's, that's, that's how I did it when I was uh, five. I, st- I still have the same voice. It sounds like Eeyore doing a John Wayne impression. Yeah. No, you do yours. I want to hear yours. Oh, God. i got to lower my voice. All right. Uh, listen and listen tight. <laughs> that sounds like, yeah, no. no. Okay, forget the John right. Wayne's. None of us are impressionists. No. So, so you, you want to do stand-up. And you sit now. When do you sit there and decide you're going to do it? And do you hit it up a mic or where did you go to perform? Because you were, you're, are you from North Jersey originally? Yep. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So you're close to Manhattan, but was there a comedy scene really going in New York at the time? 
Um, the, not so much. 1980, um, there was, I, I, I had always dreamt, of, because I was a drummer before I was a comic, and uh, I had always dreamt of being this stand-up. I didn't even know how to get into it. And I saw an ad in the paper for uh, an, open, an open mic night plus show at a, at a Chinese restaurant in Paramus, New Jersey, called the Jade Fountain. And uh, I went down there, I took a number, I put like three minutes together, it was, it was a pro show, too, you know, it was like a pro-am show. And uh, I went up, did my three minutes, I went up on stage dressed as Moses. <laughs> what the hell was that? I mean, what, 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 uh, what conceived I, I, someone to do as a young comic to go on stage as Moses? <laughs> I, well, I was doing uh, a, a parody of uh, Just for Men hair color called Ten Commandments hair color for men. Okay. So it was like the Charlton Heston wig, you know, with the sort of <laughs> salt and pepper hair. Right. And I walked from the back of the room holding my Ten Commandments. It was it was so incredibly stupid, but I got enough laughs that I I came back. You know, um, that was the beginning of the end for me. And then by the um, I guess by the fall of 1980, I went and auditioned at the Improv on 44th and 9th. Uh, you know, did my sitting outside all day waiting for a number. To, uh, come back that night and do three minutes and. That's all she wrote. I was, I was in. <laughs> Here I am, 35, 36 years later. Now, did you ever think, I mean, seriously, you know, that you've been working forever, and, and I worked with you, I believe, at Mitchell's. Oh, my God, yeah. And, I yeah. Think, and at the time, you went as Rich Gagliardi. Uh-huh. And you've had many name changes. You were like the Nick Carmen Cosentino of no, North I Jersey. Had two names you were Rick Gagliardi, times. you were Rich Gagliardi, you were Rich Scotty, and you were Rick Scotty. Well, I actually went from, yeah, I went from Rich Gagliardi <laughs> to Rick Scotty. I didn't, there was no Rich Scotty. No, that was too hard to say. So I only had two. Nicky had, Nick, well, he only, I don't know how many. He had he Nick had. Carmen, <laughs> Nick Carmen Cosentino, Nick Carmen Cosentino, Mellencamp. He had all of them. I still tell you, we're like best friends. I talk to him all the time. He's on Facebook. I, I, he was, he's been in Italy now. I think he's, he ended up going into the construction business, I think. He did. When he left comedy, he moved back to his hometown, Chicago. He has a construction business. He's very successful out there. And he goes to he goes to Italy uh, twice a year. Now, when you were doing stand-up back in the day, did you go on the road a lot? Were you a road act at all? Or were you strictly staying in New York? Or what was, And what was your game plan when you were doing comedy? Did you want to get a TV show? Did you want to just do comedy? Or what, you know, because so many comics do it for different reasons. And a lot of the guys who started a little before me were just true stand-ups. I mean, they, they didn't really, of course they wanted a TV show, but they just did it. Did you just love performing stand-up? Initially, there was no, there wasn't anything besides stand-up. And I loved it, loved it, loved it. And I still do. Uh, as I got more successful, I was traveling on, I was on the road a lot, uh, so I didn't get to work in New York too much, uh, as much as I should have. And at that time, well, everybody was getting a series or an HBO special, and uh, there was that whole migration of Seinfeld and all those guys out to the West Coast. I didn't, I missed that. So, um, you know, I would have loved to have gotten a series at that point. I think, though, you know, the universe is strange because if I had gotten it, I probably wouldn't have been able to, you know, go through this change. So, um, if I, you know, if I had to say, I'm, I'm happier that it's happening now than then. Is isn't it weird like that? We think about stuff that you know. In all honesty, we sit there and we go, "Wow." We look back, and you're right. If it happened then, our lives would be completely different. I mean, that's what we don't we forget about. You know, if you got like if me or you had gotten a certain break. I wouldn't be talking to people on the radio. You know, you wouldn't be doing where you are, America's sweetheart. It's just weird when you look back and you sit there and certain decisions you make really change your life. Yeah, and it was easy, you know, after 20 years of doing stand-up, it could have, you know, I started to feel um, bitter, a little bit bitter, you know, and, and a little bit angry. And I always said that if it ever got to where it was work, I would quit, which is exactly what I did, you know, and... Uh, when I came back, it was for the right reasons, I think. I wasn't planning fame, and I wasn't planning a series. I just loved doing stand-up. And um, I think that, you know, now because it's more honest, I'm enjoying it way more than I did before. When you quit, what did you do? Because basically, you know, we're stand-ups. And, and the bottom line is, you know, if you go for a regular job, I have a degree in business management, but if you have holes in your resume... <laughs> 
Oh, I had gigantic pulse. (laughs) Yeah, you're like a 20-year-old. What did you do and what did you want to do? Because, you know, the bottom line is it is like a drug, as you said. It's like heroin. And Uh when when you're doing it for all that time, even when it starts to become a job, and that's why I got out of it too, when it started to become a job, it's still one of the best damn jobs you can have. So what did you decide to do when you stopped doing comedy? Well, I, I did it intentionally. I, I went back to college because I, I had never gotten a degree, and I became a teacher because I felt like the skills I learned in comedy would you know, serve me well in the classroom, as they do in any job, but particularly uh, the classroom. I love working with kids. So I got a job as a sixth-grade teacher, a language arts teacher, and I taught for seven years. I loved it, loved it. Uh, you know, and if it weren't for like the administration... Uh, you know, because we don't play well with authority as comics. We, right. <laughs> we just don't get along well. I know. I'm the same way. It's like yeah. I, get, I get so pissed off the other day. I'm trying to explain we're having Internet problems, Wi-Fi problems. And I'm talking to this guy, and I'm going, yeah, the Internet. And he's getting all technical. And I'm, like, almost screaming at him. <laughs> and Joanne goes to me. She's like, no, honey, honey, it's the Wi-Fi. And I say, you know what? You get on the phone. Because I'm the same way. You know, we sit there and we don't agree with something. Or we don't understand something, we start getting pissed off. And we can't stop. We can't right. stop ourselves. We just, you know, our mouths just open and the stuff comes out and that's the end of that. And so I left. I left uh, after seven years. I seven, And I you know, I left mid-year because I was so uh, fed up with these people. And um, I, did, I became a stockbroker for four years. See? And then in 2011... Uh, you remember Chris Rich, right? Yeah, of course, Chris Rich. Philly's, Chris and I were Philly's having sweetheart. lunch. Yeah, a wonderful comedian. We were having lunch, and she said to me, well, when are you going to come back to stand-up? And me, I'm like, you know, I'm never going to come back. Too old. You know. And so um, uh, she happened to be working at the Comedy Works at uh, Georgine's in, in Bristol. I mean, remember that? I you actually, know that yeah, I played that uh, when, I, when I was coming back east a lot. I played that uh, three years ago. I played that. Oh, okay. So you're there with Cap, Mike Kaplan. Yeah, because I sent him yeah. a message and I'm like, "Hey, you know, I'm, I don't really do stand up much more, but you know, I'm back east all the time because my girlfriend lives there." And I said, like, "I do a set, and I go there, and I go on the Friday night, and I hadn't been on stage, and the most I was did was like seven minutes, and I had to do thirty, and uh, man, I ate it. The crowd was <laughs> awful, and I could see him. I think he gave him the light at like twenty, and yeah. then, then Saturday was great, but yeah, the crowd was awful. So, so you went there, and you then they. And you went inside to go on stage. Well, he knew, yeah, he knew me, and Chris happened to be working there that weekend. So, you know, and I and I said, he goes, and you know, how, I don't know if you remember how he talks to me. Hey, you want to come? You want to come back? You're still funny. <laughs> that kind of a voice in the. So he put me up, and I and I did five minutes. And, and for me, the biggest thing about that night was that for the first time, I was able to say publicly that I was transgendered. And when I said it, I got crickets. Because uh, and I had to repeat myself, and it, and it dawned on me that they weren't believing me. And, so, and, and it's Bristol. <laughs> and it's Bristol. There is that too. Yeah. If, if it was Cherry Hill or Marlton, they'd be like, right. "All right." But at Bristol, they're going, "What the hell does that mean?" <laughs> well, I, so I did okay. You know, I didn't kill. But the next week, I came back and I had a really good set. And as I'm walking off the stage. Kaplan's walking by me, you know, to get drinks or something. He just go, can we swear on this thing? Yeah, yeah, you can say whatever you okay. want. So as he's walking by me, I'm coming off the stage. The audience is laughing and cheering. He goes, is that so fucking hard to do? <laughs> <laughs> and that was the beginning of it. And, and so from that point on, I just said, well, maybe I can come back, you know. Now, when did the, did you, the transgender, when did that, when did you start that process and was it something you always wanted to do or did you find out later because you know I was this is no lie I was I was in a movie about 12 years ago called Killer Drag Queens on Dope and I know and I played a thug but Alexis Arquette who is now is transgender Mm -hmm. was in it and at the time she was trying to raise money to get the operation and everything like that and she had always we were talking she had always felt she was a female. Now, how? when did it start with you? And plus, you did comedy when comedy was a man's world. I mean, we're talking, you know, you th- you look mm-hmm. back, you said, I mean, I give credit to Chris Rich and oh, Tracy yeah. Skeen and, you know, all those people because, I mean, I used to go to the Comedy Works and, and Comedy Factory out in Philadelphia and of 25 comics on an open mic, we would have maybe have three females and it was right. a different time. It was a very uh, 
ball busting, misogynistic time. When when did you when did you know you were going to make this change? And then how hard was it? Because you were a trendsetter so much. You were before your time doing this because it, it's just now since Bruce Jenner, uh, Caitlyn Jenner changed, it's become much more in the limelight. But how how did the, when did everything start for this whole process? Um, I was uh, well. I I'd always felt like something was not right about myself but you know through the lack of information i had no clue that it could be you know being uh, uh, gender dysphoria which is what they call it but in my uh, i went to a when i was in college in my last year there um i was just bottoming out and i was seeing someone a friend of mine who happened to be a therapist and we got to talking and uh it 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 just it was like an epiphany, man. It was like all of a sudden, it just wow. That's that's what it is, because she started. She had known, and she kept talking to me about it, and um, so we began to explore it uh, in earnest. And uh, and so I went. And I went to a doctor, and I went to a psychologist, and I said, "How does this happen to people like me?" And they go, "What makes you so special?" I went, yeah, "You're right," you know. So um, I began the whole journey in nineteen. 19- 98, I believe, and it began the hormone regimen. But the first year of teaching, uh, well, as backtrack, before you can have the surgery, you have to live a year in your new gender. And so my first year of teaching happened to coincide with my living that year. So you can imagine what that was like. Yeah, because, I mean, it's something that you're, first of all, you're going into a new job, I mean, after being mm-hmm. a comic. And secondly, I mean, you know, this this sounds not weird, but and, you know, it's you know, people think about this. Just you know, when when you dress like a guy, you dress like a guy. It's a whole new, different thing. I mean, it's it must be different. Also, just the you must feel a little different in those clothes. When and especially if you're in front of a class, it must have been awkward for you at first. Oh my God, it was it was terrifically awkward because I you know I I was learning. Uh, you know, I, I, and not only that, all about ninety percent of the teachers in my school were female. So now I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of the teachers' room during breaks and everything, and they're all talking about menopause and having kids. And I'm like, you know, and and so I had to sort of fake that a little bit too. So I, it was a it was a very stressful year of living, and and again, that was you're right. Back in the, the late nineties, there wasn't any information out there. There was really no internet. You, you couldn't just look it up. So yeah, it was a difficult, difficult time. So you you sit there and then you do a year. And now, are you starting to feel more comfortable as Julia? And how'd you pick the name Julia? That's a funny actually. There's a story behind that. I had um, when I was thinking about a name, I, I my my original choice, believe it or not, was Roxanne. Because don't laugh. Um, uh, because I of um, Cyrano, okay, you know the the story Cyrano, and that that's you know I was going for that romantic side of me was sort of popping up. So I said to my niece, she goes, "What did you decide to go, Roxanne?" She goes, "You sound like a Lincoln Tunnel hooker." <laughs> I was like, "Well, okay, well there you go. That's not going to happen." So we kicked around a bunch of names, and uh, Julia popped up, and I always enjoyed. Uh, the Julia Sugarbaker character from Designing Women. Okay. And I liked her because she was a strong woman and sort of sassy and acerbic. And, I, you know, I said, yeah, that sounds like me. So that's how it happened. And you, now is your original last name Gagliardi or Scotty? Gagliardi, but my mother's maiden name is Scotty. Okay. So now, that, oh, I'm sorry. Go no, go ahead, no, go ahead. That came, the, the Scotty name came because I used to work down south a lot. And you should see them try to say Gagliardi because there's a lot of vowels in that name. You know, they could just couldn't get it out. So Scotty just seemed to be an easier uh, way. So as you were, that first year as you are going through this, did other teachers know or who knew? And, and who were you confident enough to share it with? Because it is a big, it's a big thing, especially back then. And, mm-hmm. you know, people just, you know, look now, you know, you can't even share anything with people. I mean... Who were you? Did you who who did you share your secret with, or were you not a secret, or were you open about it? No, I was. Are you kidding? I was so far. Uh, I was so stealth. You know, you, you had to be back then because they could fire you. Still, there were no laws 
to protect you know protect you for that uh, so even when people would question me I would just sort of disavow you know I, uh, I tell the story about my first day of teaching uh, I finished the day which is a stressful day to begin with for a new teacher I'm sitting at my desk just patting myself on the back and I see this little note on my desk uh, and I opened it up and it said everybody thinks you're a man it was one of my students that wrote it and I was you know I was like oh dear god you know and I I just bolted out of the school I was I mean I was crying I was just it was horribly horribly hurtful you know and uh, so I don't know who knew back then I you know I'm sure people speculated you know the hormones hadn't shifted me enough or softened me enough uh, that you would know that you could still tell you know now when you take the hormones did you do you feel it? I mean, does, is it, can you feel it changing your body? Because it's something that, it's a foreign substance going into you. It, it, yes. And then I'll tell you a quick story. I was on my way, while well, I was, I had just been on the, the moans for about a month or two. And we were driving, I was with my, my ex, and we were driving out to Long Island to, um, uh, I forget which club, uh, to, in Belmore. I forget the name of it. But we were working out there. I was working out there. And we put a song, you know, I had a cassette tape going to Bobby Darren, who I love, Bobby Darren, right? And I, as I'm driving, I turned to him and I said, isn't it a shame that he died so young? And all of a sudden, I started crying. I started getting real teary, you know. And, and, I, and I looked at her and I went, what the hell is going on here? And so at that moment, we both kind of realized what it was. It was the hormones that were just taking over. And yes, you do feel it. it it's, uh, you start to... You know, uh, body fat starts to shift around, and you know it softens your features and things. Yeah, you absolutely feel it. Yeah. So now you're sitting there, and you finally you go to get the the operation. Right now, is that? Are you excited? Are you scared? I mean, first of all, I'm sure they put you under. Which anyone, when you get put under, I would I get scared. What was your feeling? Were you sitting there going, "This I'm finally going to be able to be, be me." It, I never had a, I never had a doubt about it, and it never, and I haven't had one since. It was the best, best thing I ever did for for myself. But having said that, the night before, you know, we we were there were a bunch of us that were having it done, and um, you're sitting there going, and we're talking like we're talking now amongst ourselves. It's like there's no going back. So you better be certain that this is what you want to do. Yeah, oh, but it wasn't that. It was it was it was scary. Yes, of course. So, it's like a like it's like a super bris, you know. <laughs> so, so you get the operation, and then now you decide how long do you decide to get back into stand up? Oh my god! It was well, two thousand and two to two, nine years. It was nine years. And now, away. had you kept in touch besides with Chris Rich? Had you kept in touch with your comic friends and told them about what you went through this operation? No, I, I, I kind of, you know, went, went underground. I never, I didn't really stay in touch with too many people. I kind of wanted to, you know, just sort of start a new life, basically. But I heard, uh, once when I got back, that there were, there were stories about how I had gone crazy. Okay, uh, tell me some of these. Cause... I know, it was just, a, you know, nothing specific, but I, a couple of people just said, we heard that you went, you went nuts, you had a sex change. I go... Having a sex change is not going nuts. Right. I know. It's like, come on. It's just, you know. But I, God knows what was going on. And, um, you know, I didn't really care. I just wanted to be happy. Well, what's funny about your return to stand-up is, as I said, I had not been in Philadelphia. I had not been back for years. And, you know, you forget. I mean, I worked with you once or twice. You know, and you, you remember the names. And I kept coming back. And like I would, I did Marlton Comedy Cabaret, and I did somewhere, and I did this, and I kept seeing a picture of <laughs> Julia Scotty, and I'm going, okay, I'm saying to myself, okay, I'm not that out of touch. Who the hell is Julia Scotty? Why don't I know of her act? Why don't you know? And I was sitting there, and I couldn't figure it out, and it's it's driving me up the wall. I'm going, did I just miss? Like, did did she come out of nowhere? <laughs> I have no idea who this is. And it's finally it was a Kaplan. I said. You were there like the week after me. I was there with Vermont Harris. Oh yeah, and uh, and I sat there. I said, "Hey, Mike, who is Julia Scotty? I keep seeing her picture everywhere. She's headlining everywhere. So she's 
not like it's Philadelphia. And you don't become a headliner doing comedy after three years. I mean, Philadelphia, right. you sit there for a while. And then he said, it was, uh, oh, remember Rick Geigler? I said, oh, my God. And it was just funny. I was like, finally. I'm like, okay, it makes sense. You know, when, when she was a he, he was a headliner. So, of course, you'll be a headliner. Well, it took a while. I mean, I had to go back. I basically started from scratch, you know, doing uh, open mics and auditioning for people, even for people I knew, you know, that that I knew before I had to go back and do auditions for. So it wasn't, you know, it, it, I think I advanced as quickly as I did because I had 20 years of experience, you know, and I also had, a, you know, something of a, a reputation as a comic back then. But I think my skills, it took a while for my skills to come back. Now, how did you change your act I and mean, for even me i mean I, I if i get on stage every once in a while i'll do storytelling you know there's a lot of people who've changed their their acts kathy Labin has changed her act very much a lot of people just they change as they've grown older mm-hmm. when you're starting this new act because you are even that you're a different stage persona because that's what we all are you're you're now you're living your life as a woman how do you start writing material for that? And do you sit there and do you want to bring in the transgender to your act where you can make it funny? Um, I had to... Well, yeah, those were like executive decisions that I had to make. I started off with two things. I wanted to be fearless, uh, you know, up there, and just totally honest. Those were the two criteria that I picked. I had no you know, idea of material. But I said I also wanted to be able to work mainstream clubs because I felt like if I if I were just trans-specific, it would limit where I'd be able to work. I wanted to work mainstream clubs because for the very reason that I wanted to at some point talk about being trans in the clubs. I wanted to bridge that gap, which is actually what happened with AGT. You know, I, I, the material, if I did trans-specific material... Um, you know, people would just sort of get bored and get, you know, turn it off. Unless you're trans, and it's, you know, that it's interesting. Right. So I, I, I worked at being mainstream, and I just looked at my life. My life, other than this part of it, it's just like everyone else. And I, you know, I really am, you know, pushing the idea that uh, it's part of who I am being trans, but it's not all of who I am. I, you know, my life is very much like yours or anybody's. Now, what's it like moving up from, because you were a headliner, mm-hmm. and I know my friend Joey Callahan said you had worked with him and you featured, mm-hmm. and he had to work his ass off because the bottom line is, like you said, once you've had the headliner's chops, once you can deal with a check going <laughs> out, you can always do comedy. I mean, once you've dealt with a check drop, 30, right. min- 30 minutes is just like sitting there taking a taking a hot bath. You know, it's like, it's the easiest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you to sit there? Did you feel yourself progressing very fast? And were you were you going to be patient? Or were you like, you know what? I've been as a headliner. I'm still the same sense of humor. What was your progression like that? And were you patient? Um, yeah, I mean, I was learning, you know, I still had skills from before, but I was learning new skills uh, about being a female comic, it, it, you get treated differently, and I learned how to learn how to pull back a little of the uh, Rick Scotty, you know, mannerisms and things like that. I mean, uh, you know, that's my sense, of my muscle memory, you know, was telling me to do one thing, and sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't. So I, I you know, as I developed those skills, I, you know, I got stronger and stronger and stronger, and I felt like organically there would come a point where, uh, you know, a, a booker is not going to want to feature me anymore because, you know, the, he knows that whoever he puts in there is going to have trouble following me. So, uh, you know, you just sort of organically grow into the, the headliner spot and to the point where they can't say no. What, and that's how it happened, really. What was the first club that you headlined uh, as Julia Scotty? That's a good question. Boy, I never thought about that. Um... It would probably be either the Comedy Works or one of the comedy cabarets. Most likely Doylestown, I think. Now, what was it like to sit there and actually get to do 45 again? Because when you get, even though you've been doing it for a long time, 
when you, as I said, when you go from doing 30, it's still a bit of a stretch. I mean, what was it like? Was it, did, were you just sitting there going, you know what, I can perform all night? Or were you a little, you know, a little hesitant the first time you headline because you're thinking, okay, I got to do 45? Well, you're always hesitant, you know, and especially if you're following somebody who's strong, uh, you know, strong feature. And I think, it, and I'm, I want to say it was Pat O'Donnell that I followed at the, at the um, Doylestown uh, Cabaret. And Pat, you know, it's a strong, uh, you know, strong act. Right. It was somebody like him. It's somebody really uh, high energy, et cetera, et cetera. And and so you got to go up there and go, oh crap! You got to take it from that level where that that last comic left it and really just push it to a whole another level. So, uh, and I and I felt like if I couldn't do that, then I didn't deserve the headline. So I really worked at you know bringing my energy up and taking them from there and just lifting them even higher. So it's. Um, and that's that's a muscle memory too from the old days. You know, when you're headlining, that's what you got to do. Now, now you said you've seen that you know female comics get treated different by club owners. Can you go into that because is and is that that still happens to this day? And that's and I mean, and you've worked with a lot of these club owners and managers for a long time. You've mm-hmm. known them, but do you see that that's still out there? And what can we do to change that? I think I think you know more and more female comics. Oh my God, I've seen some incredibly brilliant you know females out there. Just uh, and I think in a lot of ways they're 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 developing uh, faster and better and stronger than the males are. I hate to say that because there's you know I don't hate to say it. I mean I, that's what I see. And so I think uh, when I got back, even back then they would be loath to put two women on the same show. I think that's changing. I know on my shows, if I get an opportunity to to bring my, you know, the feature in or the MC in, uh, I will, you know, usually want to bring a woman in. And there's some really, really funny women out there. Who are some of your favorite uh, women out there um, right now that, that, that you with work the, with? Yeah, Missy Grinkowitz. I just worked with her a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she's she's great. Uh, you know, there's, there's, I, I, I hate to just use one name, but uh, there's, um, I mean, you just go through the Philly roster. I don't know what, you know, much about the New York roster. I don't know who's out there now, but there's, I've come across a number of really funny people. There's a girl named, uh, in Philly named Rachel Fogletto, who is, uh, um, she's doing this just insane. Uh, It's not, you know, standard stand-up. It's not, you know, but it's just funny as hell. Uh, you know, there's Nikki Black out out by you, Nikki Black, who was from Philadelphia. She's doing great things uh, sketch-wise. She's just very, very funny. There's some really great comedy talent out there, and I'm really happy about it, the female comedy talent. Well, what's amazing is, I mean, as you said, yeah, so many. I used to host a show a few years back called Cooper's Angels, where I have every other week at this comedy club, I'd have seven or eight female comics. And I never had to worry about repeating anyone because there's so many now. It, 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 it's amazing how much it's changed in 20-odd years where now you can go and you can see thousands of comics. Right, and, and you know, the, and, and the, the veterans, like, you know, Patty Rossborough still, and like you said, Kathy Ladman, Mary Redzinski out in Philadelphia uh, is doing a... Uh, it's just exploded. The scene is just... Look at the hottest video, Dina Blizzard, right now. Oh, no, That's like the hottest video. Four million country. hits or something? Or crazy. Yeah, uh, it, it's just, it's wonderful to see, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad, um, I'm glad they're letting me be a part of that group. So now you're, you're doing your stand-up, and what decides, what makes you decide to perform, uh, audition for AGT, and what was the process? Because I've heard, you know, I, I would see posts on Facebook, people would be sitting there, there'd be a line, like, especially in L.A., you know, L.A. is crazy. Oh, sure. What made you sit there and say, I want to go to AGT? Was your manager involved with it? Did you think it could be a good break for you? Did you think you would get the popularity you've gotten? I mean, how did this whole process happen? And how do you feel now that, as I said, you are America's sweetheart and you are a role model for a lot of transgenders? And, I mean, it must just be something that you, years ago, when you were that first day as a teacher, you must have never thought that you would touch people like you did. Not in a million years. Not in a million years. I'll tell you how it happened. We... Uh, they actually found us. Uh, we had my manager Kathy Caldwell, 
uh, developed my website. Uh, she constantly works on it. What's your website, real quick? Uh, www.juliascotti.com, S-E-O-T-T-I. Okay. That's com. Out of town, call, collect. Um, so she, she had been, you know, we'd been putting little videos up, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess uh, one of the uh, talent scouts named uh, Joy Wingard uh, found me. And she sent us a letter, would we like to audition? And uh, yeah, so yes, I wasn't really looking for it. It sort of came to me. And then we auditioned. The next thing you know, we're L.A. bound. <laughs> so so uh, how do you prepare for the audition? Because you're used to doing 45-minute sets. And how long do you do? Is it three? At 90 the seconds. Okay, now you always think about that. As a comic, and it's not like you're a new comic. I mean... 90 seconds for a new, new comic is eternity. But for a, a comic who's headlined and you have the whole, you know, you have your whole beats and rhythms down mm-hmm. and you're used to, I mean, I'm sure you've gotten applause breaks that last for 30 seconds, you know. How do you sit there, when you're going to do that first audition, what do you prepare for your material? And do you, is it a long process? Do you talk to Kathy and do you guys decide, here's what we got to do? And just 90 seconds are you in front of the mirror with a clock are you giving time less how does a seasoned headliner do 90 seconds well uh fortunately uh, for me kathy's also a comic so it was that part of it was good we went over my act and and you know we were able to see the things we could control the things we couldn't control and part of you know you know as yourself when you make an entrance that's part of how you establish your character you know depending on how you walk up there I knew I wasn't going to have that time to really establish character that I had to get right to the meat of it. And the audition, the first one is you stand in front of a producer. That's it. There's nobody else in the room. There's a camera and a producer. No, where was that at, the first one? That was at City College in uh, Queens, New okay. York. And, um, you know, he's, they, they set the camera up and you just launch into it, you know, it, it, if you if you let the fact that you're not getting the huge laughs you normally expect or get, if you let that get to you, you're dead in the water. So you have to proceed with the thought that they've seen thousands of acts, and if they they're not necessarily looking to laugh out loud, they're looking for you know the quality of the material. So I did that audition. Then they sent me down to another room and did two more auditions uh, and. And and we heard, I guess, about a month or so later. So you did it. You didn't know what was going on. And a month later, they call you and they say, hey, you're going to California. Yeah, pretty much. That's how it went. I mean, it's just like, it, you know, I went through the same process everybody else did. And now when you get to California, what's the process once you get here? Is there more time? Is it a, what's, how does it change? Uh, it does not, not, by, not too much. You're in and out of there in a couple of days. I mean, we, you know, the first one uh, went really well. Um, you know, obviously, <laughs> second one went pretty well too, and now and now we're getting ready for the live shows in August. Now, is it exciting? I mean, because I know you probably back in the day you probably did even the improv and all that stuff. I mean, you know, everyone I think in New York today. Uh-huh. Now, is it exciting to be back on TV? And is it just different because, as a comic, you must look at the other acts. And there's some crazy shit. I mean, even, oh, yeah, even yeah. have like the Eagles, the Eagles long snapper, Dornboss is, is on the show. I yeah. mean, what's it like when you go, what's it like when you're in the back, uh, in the, in the, in the process looking at different acts? Cause I don't know if you watched Dice Clay's show, but he was pitching about how he had to, you know, work with a magician. He's like, yeah, there's different levels, you know, the magicians underneath the ventriloquist and all this. What's it like when you're meeting all these different acts? I mean, are you sitting there going, holy crap, this is mind-shattering? It, it is, because you're downstairs and it's, you know, everybody's juggling and eating fire, and, you know, you know, they're dancing, they're singing. It's It looks like a 1940s movie, you know, where they used to all be lined up outside the theater waiting to audition for Florence Ziegfeld, that right. kind of a thing. <laughs> It was like that, and it does. It can be a little intimidating, you know, because I, I you know, I'm, I'm watching a guy shove a sword down his throat while it's on fire. I'm like, I can't do that. And you kind of have to put, you know, in perspective. You just have no expectations. You're going to walk out there, do do the things that got you to this point. Don't change anything, because obviously, you know, you've been successful. 
So I just went out and, and did it. But I'll tell you the one weird thing is that, you know, when you're standing backstage the first time, you've seen that set on TV a gazillion times. And, and when you walk out there and you're suddenly in it, it's, just, it's very surreal. It's like stepping through the TV, you know. It's, it's got this Rod Sterling quality. <coughs> Bless you. Excuse me. Yeah. So, so you do that, and now, how do people react? As soon as you go on, I know because you were posting on Facebook because you didn't know when you were going to be on, and I'm sure you can't say, you know, you don't, as I said, they, sometimes you may be on, you may not be on. What is it, because you're posting, you know, try to watch me and this and that. What is the reaction to the people you know when they see you for the first time? Because, you know, and was there anyone who, from the past, who went, holy crap, like you got a message or a text or a tweet from that you hadn't seen in years, like an old teacher. Did anyone from your past come out and go, oh my God, this is awesome? Oh, a lot of a lot of people, my uh, friends, relatives that I hadn't heard from in years uh, popped up. My Twitter feed went berserk. Uh, the Facebook, I mean, there were literally eight, nine hundred messages in my my email. <laughs> it was insane. I'd never seen anything like that. Well, yeah, because it's something that, you know, people, I mean, I, I was seeing it all over. Uh, people, you know, different comics I know saying, hey, Julia Scotty, even people, as I said, I went to uh, college with. I mean, now what is it like to sit there to feel like that 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 little, that fame? Because, you know, it's, it's only going to get more if, you know, if you keep advancing, which I think you will. What is that like to sit there, you know, because, you know, as I said, when you're a comic for years and you've gone through the change, so people, you know, they, they know you, but they don't really know you. The comics who knew you is like, or the people that saw you years ago is Rick Scotty. They don't know as Julia Scotty. What is it like for you now to get this, all of a sudden, this this light shining on you? Is it is it awkward or do you love it? or And what are you going to do with it? Uh there are times when I, you know, like if I, I'm getting recognized uh, more so in the last week or so than, than you know, after the first episode aired. This, by the time the second one aired, I'm, you know, people are coming up to me and just going, yeah, well, you want AGT? And I'm like, yeah. And that's kind of cool. It's very nice. Uh, what do I want to get out of this? Uh, I, I, I'm trying not to have any expectations. Uh, you know, whatever comes my way we'll we'll deal with it when that happens what i'd like to do is if it were you know if i were really successful at this is to is to work with kids again and get you know there's an awful lot of um there's a very high suicide attempt rate in the trans community it's like 41 percent you know ridiculous a lot of these kids a lot of them are kids uh so i really you know want to be able to uh, start some kind of a foundation or whatever to help these kids out and help them get through this. It's hard. So that's the only thing I'm sure about. As far as my career, what happens career-wise, who knows? Whatever's out there, um, I will certainly uh, take a shot at it. Now, you said you want to help uh, with the transgender kids. In your act, in your 45-minute set, uh -huh. how much do you talk about your transgender? Do you talk about it? And when you do talk about it, are you, do you inform people? Or do you sit there and just talk about it because it's part of you, which it is part of you. It's no different you saying about transgender and me saying I'm bald and cross-eyed. It's no, there's no difference, but it's, it's, that's part of us. I mean, yeah. how, how do you address it on stage and have you had strong reactions and have you had negative reactions? Because I think now, you know, and people, people can just, people are, if they don't understand something, they're more apt to be, you know, dismissive. How has your reaction been and when do you bring it into your act and how do you mention it? Well, prior to the to the AGT show, I, I, there were times when I would talk about it, and there were times when I wouldn't. Like I said, it's part of who I am. It's not all of who I am. So uh, if I did it at all, it would be somewhere in the second half of my act. Now, because of AGT, it's sort of the 800-pound gorilla in the room. So you know, I kind of have to address that right up front. But in total, in terms of time in my act, if it's... So, I don't know, seven minutes would be probably, you know, the limit. It, it's not a big deal to me, you know? <laughs> you know. I know it is to a lot of other people. It's just not a big deal. Now, what's your writing process these days? Is it, I mean, because comics change, because you, you're older, and I think when we're younger, we sit there and 
we're so worried. You know, we're so worried about getting that quick laugh. You know, that's that thing. And as we get older and we're more mature on stage, it changes. Have you seen your writing process change over the years just in, in the style and your delivery and just everything and your content? Yes. I uh, My content specifically, I I, I think the, the the material I'm doing now has a lot more depth to it than the stuff I did before. Uh, I... I uh, I'm more story oriented. If you see my set, I don't have that, uh, which is I don't have that laughs per second kind of uh, you know monitor that TV shows have. They make you know they always judge you by how many laughs per second, which I always thought was stupid, but um, it, that's what they do. I'm not as concerned with laughs per second as Sam with just bringing you along in the story to maybe a big punch down the road, you know. So. I mean, I think I'm more mature in my approach to my stand-up. Yeah, because I think in in the early days you were uh, you, you were very like high energy, weren't you? I'm trying to remember. I still I yeah, just, I, remember, I, I still am. I am. I'm still high energy. I mean, you were like you were like mad. I remember. I remember because you. I remember working <laughs> you at Mitchell's. Real life and too. You, you had a you had a really uh, you had a nice. You used to wear a suit. I think. I did. I, I went through a bunch of different phases. Uh, I, I work with you, and I still remember you had like a dark suit, and you looked really sharp. And I was like, "God damn it!" Because I had jeans and I had long hair, and I was like, "But you were closing." So I still remember that because Mitchell's. I mean, do you you remember Mitchell's? How great oh that club God, was! Yeah, I have I have a video of me at Mitchell's. Mitchell's. I, I do. There's a documentary being done on my life right now, and uh, we used footage from Mitchell's. Probably the only surviving video. <laughs> Uh, did Joe did, did Joe go up up and tell the Superman joke? You can't no. Joe's not in it, but I'm, I'm sure somewhere Tommy Moore has footage of Mitchell's. With, we talked. With okay, Grover Silcox was on a few weeks ago. I heard that one. Yeah, and Tommy Moore is like the guy. He is like the com- comic historian of the Philadelphia area. I mean, it's He's amazing. Fantastic. And as you think, though, you know. I just think about what one of his rooms must be like because he has articles from everything. He puts those headshots up, and I'm like, how the hell does he have all this stuff? Because back then, we didn't have, you know, the internet to check it. It's just amazing. He, uh, uh, did you see the picture he put up of his office? No, it's, no, no. Oh, it's it's wonderful. He's got everything in file cabinets. He's He really is a star. He's like the Smithsonian of comedy. It's <laughs> Anytime you have a question about comedy, reach out to Tommy. Have you had him on yet? No, I have to. The thing is, well, I used to see the. It's funny he came up on the show, and Kate Flannery from The Office was on, and we Uh and she's from Philly, and we told she was telling a story, and we were talking about headshots, and I go, yeah, well, you know, there was a guy in Philadelphia named Tommy Moore. He would wear a hat. It was like that was like the the vaudevillian type, and she's like, the first time I performed, I sang background for him. On this uh, show somewhere, and then neck, I told Tommy. I sent Tommy a message. Next thing you know, Tommy has the newspaper clipping. Like, <laughs> like, it doesn't say Kate Flannery. It says whatever the group they were. But I was like, that was in like 1985, 88. I always picture him when somebody gives him a request. It's like again the 1940s movie, you know, the newspaper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tommy boy, get over here. Get down to research and find this for me. Julia Scotty, stop. Uh, Julia, we have this clip for you. Stop. Uh, <laughs> get home immediately. Stop. So now, now, how did the documentary come up? And uh, and, and that's just, that must be really uh, exciting for you. It is. It's, uh, I, was up in, I was up in Nantucket about a year ago working. A, I was doing a theater up there. And after the show, I met this woman named Susan Sandler, who, uh, as it turned out, is a professor at NYU Tisch, uh, Film School, and she also is a writer. She wrote the movie uh, Crossing Delancey. Uh, okay, yeah, with uh, Amy yeah. Irving and Peter. Reed. Right, exactly. So we got to, you know, we went out for drinks after the show, and we got to talking. And about a week later, uh, she calls me and she said, "Would you be interested in, in doing this doc?" And I was like, "Sure," because <laughs> you know, at this point, AGT hadn't even, you know, come up on the radar. And we just started collecting all this stuff. She liked my story. She liked my life, you know. Uh, and and she's been working on it now. I, I think she started working on it in, let's see, late 
last year or the beginning of this year. So we started, you know, doing some shooting uh, at this point, and she's culling all the information. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman. Really just, I love her to death, Susan Sandlin. So what's it like to sit there and actually, you know, think, you know, it's going to be a documentary about you. I love documentaries, and it's a documentary I would watch. It, it must just be fascinating because it covers your whole life. And just to see the old clips of the comedy clubs and probably the the guys that were around back then, you know, that you hung out with. I mean, a lot of people, like, you're not the only person who got out of comedy. Lou DiMaggio was recently on my show. He, I heard that, yeah. yeah. He got out of comedy, and a lot of people did. I mean, it must be fascinating for you to see that so many of you got out of the business for whatever reasons, and now you're getting all back in. It must just be, that must be a great feeling, and especially if they document something like that. It is heartwarming, and, and I'll tell you something. I, I hope it's the beginning of a trend, because... I think that the older, the veterans, uh, you know, have got sort of been cast aside. And it's a shame because, you know, we've got 30, 35 years doing stand-up. And then you tell us we're not, you know, uh, relevant anymore. I don't think that's the case. I think we have a lot to say. You just decided not to hire us anymore. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So what is the comedy scene like now? You said you had some theaters. I know you did some shows with Kevin Meany. Right. Kevin and I are... are uh, uh, we're doing a show called Big Pants and Hot Flashes, and uh, you know because he came out uh, about I guess about five six years ago, and uh, you know we had worked together and it went so well that we just said well why don't we take the show on the road and go to theaters, and it's been a joy. I I, I just I love Kevin. He's one of my favorite human beings on the planet. My mom but, has always loved his act. Like years ago, she would be like we're big pant people. And my mom <laughs> who's misconserved. I'm like what? And I'm like where did you even see Kevin Meaty? <laughs> I was talking to my 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 manager last night. I don't know how we got on the subject, but it, I just you know we both at the same set time said, "Well, lose the goddamn house," you know. <laughs> and he's just that kind of a guy. He get he gets in your soul, and uh, so there's that. And then I'm you know I'm starting to book some theaters on my own. Uh, now, just solo too. Have you seen like when you do a show with Kevin? Is the, is the crowd, you know, straight comedy people? Is it Mixed. I mean, what is what kind of crowd is coming? Is it more of a, uh, a gay crowd or a straight crowd, or is it just a regular comedy crowd? It's a mix, but uh, the, it's definitely more straight than than gay or trans. You know, but it's a mix. Uh, they do. You know, they come for different reasons. I mean, just like your was it your mom? Uh, you know, people just love Kevin. Right. And, you know, the people that know me come, uh, and generally they know both of us. And that's why they come to the show. We did one out in San Francisco, uh, out in Mill Valley. Oh, my God, I love that theater, the Throckmorton Theater. Oh, yeah, I've heard it's wonderful. Oh, it was just wonderful. It was just a, just a great experience. And so, you know, we, we, it's a very high-energy show from beginning to end, and we do a Q&A at the end. So um, people you know, enjoy, seem to enjoy it a lot. What kind of questions do you get asked when you do a Q&A? Uh, one of the questions is uh, usually that Ke it's not even a question, but that Kevin and I make a great couple, <laughs> and why don't we get together? And, and it's just because he's gay and I'm a woman, so right. it, that's that's the, one of the major reasons yeah, we get that a lot. That's like the stupidest thing ever. It is. Like, it is it doesn't make any sense. Also, well, the suggestion is that we do a sitcom together, or that we do the odd couple on the road. You know, take it as a, as a play. I mean, you know. We get a lot of that. people ask him about, you know, the Tonight Show, and they ask me about, you know, uh, the surgery. Right. <laughs> I get that a lot. Have you had young people reach out to you since your AGT, or even when you were doing stand-up, have you had people, or even parents, come up to you, which must be a great feeling, if parents came up and said that their, you know, one of their children is transgender or thinking about it, have you been able to talk to people about that and, and, and make a difference because, as you said, eventually you want to, if, especially if it really takes off, but have you had people come up and actually just been and thanked you? Yes, I, I've had, uh, you know, not so much in person, but I get a lot of emails from uh, people in transition who are going through it. A lot of parents have reached out to me uh, sometimes to thank, you know, to, to thank me for enlightening them. Uh, one woman, uh, a mom, say that she hadn't spoken to her her child in like like three months, but uh, she realized that she kind of 
had been handling it all wrong. And she reached out to it. And, and for anybody going through transition, you need that support network. And so I'm kind of glad about that. And, and I'm glad that I'm, you know, it's a, it's a mainstream television show. And I, you know, I think that I'm the first trans stand-up comic to ever do, you know, a primetime network show. I think, and I could be wrong. So there's a little responsibility with that. Um, it is. It's. It is. It's a daunting <laughs> responsibility. Yes. And it's so funny, you know. As I said, we always when you think about years ago when you were dressed like. Moses, Moses on stage that years later your life would change completely and you'd be a, and you are a role model and I mean that must just be it's such a, a surreal thing because no one ever thinks like that first time we get on stage I mean let's be honest we don't think we're gonna we're gonna change things but you're actually helping change things and it's an awesome thing yeah I don't know if I'm I think the best thing I can do is live my life uh, as a quality human being and I think if there is any change to come out of it, it's because of that. Um, so I don't know how much I'm changing anything. I'm just trying to be a decent human being. Now, do you have your material planned for the uh, for the the live show? Are you already working on it, or can you do, can you do the same material, or what do you have to do? No, you got it. Can't repeat. No, no. I, I, in fact, the material I've done on the show already, I'm probably going to have to burn anyway because you know, no, you know, unless unless I'm doing the best of. Right. <laughs> No, no, it's all new, new stuff. We got the set prepared. Uh, in fact, I was here today working with it, uh, working on it. Are you are you out running it at places, or or is that is it hard to just go out in the area and run places? It's material that I've been doing in my act, so I know it's tried and true. But what the difference is, you know, with the ninety seconds, you kind of have to have a a solid opening line to sort of uh, introduce the piece. So that's the thing that I've been working on, trying to find that opening line. And do you have any gigs coming up soon? I do actually. That's tomorrow night. I'm going to be at the uh, Bergen uh, Performing Arts Center in Englewood, New Jersey, for the Ladies of Laughter. This Friday and Saturday, I'll be at Bananas Comedy Club, but this won't even be on the air by then, right? Uh, Bananas Comedy Club in uh, Hasbro Heights, New Jersey. Is that Joey Novak? Does he still book that? No, no. That's uh, Harlan uh, and uh, Harlan uh, Jameson owns owns that. And okay. His wife. Yeah, so they've been there for 25 years. I God, think. it's crazy. But I mean, you know, you can always find out where I am just by going to my website, which is www.juliajuliascottiscotti.com. You're the best. And what's your Twitter? I beg your pardon. Uh, it's juliascotti4. Now, do you tweet a lot? I've been tweeting more since AGT because I, I, it's just to be able to keep up with everybody and thank them and just make announcements about where I'm going to be or something. So yeah, I'm doing it a lot more. How many followers do you have? I went from, <laughs> this is funny because the, the night of the show, the first show, I had 600 and change. I'm sitting there with my son watching the first show and we're looking at my Twitter feed and it's go. it looks like an odometer on a car. <laughs> it's, 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 it went from 600 to, it's up to over 5,000 now. It's, it's insane. Well, it's after, crazy. after your live show, you're gonna go up to fifteen thousand. You watch. By the time you're done, you're gonna have like seventy thousand followers. Uh, what a responsibility! Exactly. That I'm actually gonna to have to be clever on a regular basis. It's all right. Anyway, Julie, I want to thank you for uh, doing this interview. It was good to talk to you. It's been years. Steve, I want to thank you. I really appreciate your, you know, doing it. It was a lot of fun. I had a great time. Good. Well, people, so people, please go to juliascotty.com. Find out where she's gonna be. Go check out the act. Go check out AGT. Go to my website at www.coopertalk.net. I have uh, 530-odd episodes up there. You can email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. I'll get back to you. Tell me what guests you want to see. I tweet a lot. People were... I tweeted a lot last night about the uh, convention. So that's at coopertalk. Go to at coopertalk. And uh, Instagram, at coopertalk1. And don't forget my other uh, website, stopthesalt.com. Remember I went through that health problem a few years Ago, I wrote a cookbook. It's 120 recipes, very easy to make. It's cooking for one. Basically, there's no pictures to intimidate you. There's no ingredients you won't need. Like, I don't have cumin. I use cumin, but I won't have cumin in the recipes. So go to stopthesalt.com. You can get it at Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. But if you get it at stopthesalt.com, I make more money. And that's all it's about, me making more money. So please keep watching AGT. 
when they have the vote, you call in your vote. You go to juliascotty.com. You follow Julie on Twitter. You, you tell her to tweet more because she's getting a lot more Twitter followers. So she has to be funny. There's no uh-huh. more just saying where I am. She has to tweet jokes. Follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. Words with friends. Cooper Talk 1. Challenge me. I will play you. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water. Eat your vegetables. Take your vitamins. And I will talk to you guys next week.